Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts. I'm your Bible teacher today, and I cannot wait to share today's sermon with you. I'm calling it The King Who Negotiated with God. We are talking through this great series on the Old Testament kings out of Second Chronicles, and today we come to this fascinating story where at the age of only 39 or 40 years old, King Hezekiah is about to die. He's one of the greatest kings that God ever raised up for his people, and now he's going to die a premature death. And you know, the scriptures say, He turned his face to the wall, and he pleaded with God for more time. You know, I've always wondered, was King Hezekiah wrong for pleading with God to extend his life? I'm going to answer that question today. Well, I hope that you'll join me in the text as we'll be in 2 Chronicles 32. Then we're going to make our way to 2 Kings 20 and the principles that we are going to learn together today have the ability to change our lives. Friends, let's study God's Word together on today's broadcast of Awakened to Grace. Well, let's go to 2 Chronicles chapter 32 today. I want to talk about Hezekiah. Last Sunday, we looked at the first part of Hezekiah's life. I think Hezekiah was by far the greatest king that Israel produced in this entire time frame. Uh, The Bible says of him, there was not anyone like him from Solomon all the way on. Hezekiah excelled. Hezekiah did amazing in his life. But with all other kings, we're going to see today his fatal flaw. Last week we saw Hezekiah ushered in revival. And we talked last week about if our nation is going to turn, if we are going, if if it is true that at the lowest ebb is the turning of the tide, then perhaps we are at the lowest ebb right now today in our country. Perhaps there is a turning of the tide that is coming. I don't know about you, but I'm looking for a mighty wave come this November. And do you know what wave I'm looking for? Righteousness. Righteousness. That God would raise up righteous leaders in our midst. Can we say amen Amen. to that? Righteousness. What are the foundations of God's throne justice and righteousness. And what is the greatest need of our nation today? Justice and righteousness. May God respond. Amen. Well, the middle part of Hezekiah's life, I'm not going to cover today. And the reason why I'm not going to cover it is because I just preached on it last November. We did a series entitled, The battle belongs to the Lord. And we covered this massive battle that Hezekiah found himself in. Sennacherib, the king of the Assyrians, descended on Jerusalem and tried to overthrow them. And the Bible says that Hezekiah called on the name of the Lord. And scripture says that in one night, an angel, one angel 
killed 185,000 of the enemy in one night. Fascinating. Now Hezekiah is known throughout the world as the king who defeated the mighty Assyrians. And what do you think happened to King Hezekiah? His head got so big he couldn't fit through any door. The Bible don't say that, so don't, don't write that down. But As we'll see, he grew in pride like all other kings. But Hezekiah, even in that, Hezekiah is going to be different. Let's look at it. 2 Chronicles chapter 32. We begin in verse number 34 for our purposes today. So we see the first part of his kingship. He ushers in revival. We see the middle part. He faces Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and God delivers them out of Sennacherib's hand. And the prayers that Hezekiah prayed. You just won't find any better. Hezekiah said, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. What a beautiful prayer. And now we come to verse 24, and things are going to change dramatically in Hezekiah's life. How many of you know things can change very quickly? And things are going to change fast for Hezekiah. According to verse number 24, in these days, Hezekiah became sick. So sick to the point of death. Now, here, this would be interesting for you to note at this point, Hezekiah is approximately 39, maybe 40 years old. And here he's one of the greatest powers on the earth. And here he's had the greatest victory on the earth. And here God is blessing him. And now at age 40, at age 39, he's going to die? It doesn't make sense. I'm so excited to preach on this text today because for a long time, I have inwardly, I have wrestled with Hezekiah's prayer. And what I want to show you today is Hezekiah is going to plead with God and ask him to spare his life. And God is going to grant him 15 more years. But they were not good years. Some could argue Hezekiah would have been better off to have died at this appointed time than for God to have extended the 15 years. I've wrestled a great deal with this text through the years and I've, I've often wondered what's, what's, the, what's the true meaning of Hezekiah's request. And after spending so much time with it and really digging into the kings, this is the conclusion that I've come to. Hezekiah was not wrong to ask God to extend his life. Hezekiah was not wrong to plead for more time. Where Hezekiah was wrong is that he squandered the last 15 years of his life. He grew selfish in the last 15 years of his life. Well, let's break it all down today. According to verse number 25... His fatal flaw, as with all the other kings, is Hezekiah grew prideful. We are going to see this in a moment later on when the Babylonian delegation comes. 
And out of his pride, he's going to open the treasury. And out of his pride, he's going to open the storehouses. Out of his pride, he's going to show them his entire military. And oh, Hezekiah, his pride is just going to go off the chains. But there's something different about Hezekiah than with all of the kings. Look at verse number 26. It's interesting. Do you know what Hezekiah did as God showed him his pride? Hezekiah humbled himself down. This is what makes him different than all the other kings. But what we learn in Hezekiah, pride is such a deceptive thing. The very moment you think you've got it out, guess what? It comes right back in. You will never fully vanquish pride out of your life. It is a fight you'll have to always fight. It's a battle you'll have to always fight. The moment you think you've overcome it, it will come right back. Do you know why? This is why, listen, this is the way Paul said it. We have to crucify ourselves to Christ. We have to daily be on the altar because we'll get victory in an area and then all of a sudden, It'll come, it'll try to come right back. No, we have to constantly be on guard with these things. Hezekiah thought he had not only won the war with the Assyrians, Hezekiah thought he had won the battle with pride. But let's watch what happens. Verse number 27, God says, Okay, Hezekiah. You grew prideful. Now you've humbled yourself down. Now I can trust you with great riches and great honor. And so Hezekiah's kingdom begins to grow. Great riches, great honor. Verse number 29, God even adds to him great possessions. Verse number 30, everything Hezekiah does, God causes it to prosper. Could Hezekiah, could better commentary be said of him? But oh, look at verse 31. What did I say? The moment you think you've overcome pride, watch out. Because here it comes, right back through the back door. God is going to leave him to himself. And God is going to test what's in his heart. How is he going to test him? He leaves him to himself. Oh, let me tell you, I don't want the Lord to leave me to myself. See, that's why when you try to figure out your own problems... Oh, that's such a dangerous thing. When you try to go through life in your own strength, oh, it's such a dangerous thing. When you're trying to navigate decisions with your own reason and with your own understanding and with your own strategy, oh, my friends, you're living such a dangerous game. No, we should humble ourselves down and we should say, God, I want to seek your direction. I only want your will. I only want your path. God, you are welcome in my life. You may open any door you desire. Oh, God, you may close any door that you desire. Do you live like that? Or are you filled with your own ambition? Are you filled with your own dreams? Are you filled with your own agenda? Are you filled with your own plans? Don't be left to yourself. And so God leaves Hezekiah to himself. Okay, Hezekiah, you're so smart. You know what you're doing. You've cheated death. You've overcome the Assyrians. 
You've even humbled yourself down from the pride. Okay. You want to do it on your own. Let's see what you do. Verse 32. Now, remember, Isaiah has played a pivotal role through the kings of Uzziah and Hezekiah and Will Manasseh, his son. Isaiah will have a very interesting ending next week as we study. But Isaiah is going to play a pivotal role with Hezekiah. The Bible tells us in verse 32 that the acts, the mighty acts of Hezekiah, are they not also recorded in the book of Isaiah and also in, in the book of the Kings? Now, let's go to 2 Kings chapter 20. Say amen if you're with me right now. Amen. 2 Kings chapter 20. Now, remember throughout this study, this is what we've noted when it comes to the books of First and Second Kings, it is, it is a historical narrative. There are facts about the thrones of Israel to the north, Judah to the south. It is a historical narrative. But what makes Second, First and Second Chronicles so unique, even though it covers much of the same content, while... First and Second Kings is a historical narrative and a historical point of view. First Second Chronicles is a heavenly point of view. It is the view from God's perspective. It is, a, it is God's narrative of the kings. And that's what makes the two set of books so unique and so different from each other. But to get more of the facts of what's happening in Hezekiah's life, I want us to go through 2 Kings chapter 20 because it's going to give us many more details than what 2 Chronicles 32 does. This is also echoed in Isaiah chapter 38 and 39, primarily 38. It's very interesting to compare those three portions of Scripture side by side. We learn a great deal. For our purpose now, we're going to walk through 2 Kings Chapter 20. Now, verse number 1. The prophet Isaiah is going to come to Hezekiah. He's become sick. Apparently, he was sick for so long that word had traveled all the way to Babylon, from Jerusalem to Babylon. How far is that? Babylon is in what is today modern-day Iraq. So word had traveled a long distance. Hezekiah apparently had been sick for a bit. And now Isaiah is going to make a pastoral hospital visit to the king's palace. And it's not good news. Isaiah walks in, verse number one, and tells Hezekiah, here is the word of the Lord for you. Set your house in order. You're going to die. You shall not recover. Oh, I can hear Hezekiah. I can picture him underneath the covers and weak and feeble and saying, Will you call for Isaiah? Perhaps, perhaps the Lord will give me a word. Before I went blind, I did many, many, many hospital visits. Every time I'd go on a hospital visit, you know, I'd want to walk in and bring encouragement. I wasn't real good at it. I'm not great with hospital visits. I walk in and say, how you doing? I'm like, they're hooked up to IV bags. Of course, they're not doing well, Chad. Idiot. <laughs> <laughs> but 
I would always enjoy going to pray with people and, and try to bring them encouragement. Pastorally, that's what you want to do. You want to bring hope. You want to bring strength. You want to bring encouragement. I couldn't imagine if God said, walk in and tell them, set your house in order. You're going to die. You will not recover. <laughs> I don't know what you say after that. <laughs> But this was Isaiah's task. And Isaiah was faithful to proclaim the word of the Lord. The king didn't take it too well. He did probably exactly what you and I would do. Verse number two. The king turns his face to the wall. Verse number three. He prays a remarkable prayer. He says, Lord, I've served you all this time. My heart has been right before you. I've walked uprightly. I've done what's right in the eyes of the Lord. He knew the history of the kings. Look who his father was for crying out loud. Ahaz, what a wicked man. And Hezekiah says, God, I've done everything right. I've lived according to what's right in your eyes. You see this. And then it says something that if any of you have ever faced a cancer, if any of you have ever faced a terminal illness, I think you know. The Bible says he wept bitterly. I was with my dad when we were at the doctor's office and the doctor said, Mr. Roberts, you need to get your affairs in order. You're terminal. My dad passed back in 2017. And this was in 2016. I remember sitting there with my dad. I had eyesight at the time. My dad was real quiet. We got in the car, I drove him. And I remember telling my dad, Dad, we are all terminal. Every one of us, every one of us have an expiration date. For it is appointed for man to die once. And after this, the judgment. You know what I think the real meaning of that verse is? You and I have an opportunity one time to die right with God. There are no redos. There is no going back and doing it different. There is no letting go of bitterness. There is no letting go of anger. There is no repenting of the sin afterward. No, you and I have one opportunity to die right with God. And after this. The judgment. Hezekiah wept bitterly. This brings me to a question that I want to ask today of us. Is death the worst thing to happen to a Christian? No, it isn't. You know, I've always been intrigued up until this spring. I've always been intrigued at how the disciples handled death. I mean, crying out loud, what could you do with the Apostle Paul? He said, I'm torn between the two. I don't know if I want to go on and be with Christ, which is far better, or if I should stay here for your benefit. But I'm ready to go. I'm ready to be poured out like a drink offering. Peter, what could you do? Peter did not fear death to the point that when he would, the night before his execution in Acts 12, he went into a deep sleep. Could you sleep the night of your execution? He goes, 
Send me to heaven. Why did they react that way? Do you know why? When we went through our great series on the Gospel of Mark called Walking with Jesus, the Lord showed me, you remember after the resurrection of Jesus, they end up on the seashore with Jesus and he's cooking them breakfast. And what do they do? They worship the Lord Jesus Christ in his flesh after the resurrection. Let me tell you, if you and I saw the Lord Jesus Christ with our very own eyes in the flesh, you and I would not fear death one inch. Not even an inch. And what could Rome do against these men? Why did they flip the world upside down? Because they weren't afraid of death. Not at all. They had seen. They had felt. They had worshipped the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Death is nothing for us to fear. Nothing. But we're very human, aren't we? And so he weeps. He weeps bitterly. He wept bitterly. Verse number four. So Isaiah leaves him. (laughs) And before the Bible says, before he got out of the middle court, the Lord speaks to Isaiah and says, turn around, go back, tell Hezekiah, I've heard his prayer and I'm going to heal him. So the same prophet who is obedient to give the bad news is going to be obedient to give the good news. Well, that's the thing about bold Christians. Not afraid to speak both. So he goes back, verse number 5. God says, I'm going to heal him and in three days go to the temple. Okay. Verse number 6. Very interesting. God says, I'm going to add 15 years to your life. Now, isn't that so fascinating? He's a young man. He's only 39, 40. So even at 15, he's not going to have a very long lifespan. But still, you know, when you, if you're given 15 years on the front end, that feels pretty good, doesn't it? And so he's given 15 years. And God says, I'm going to protect Jerusalem from Assyria. I'm going to do it for my own sake. Verse number 7, what do they do? This is very interesting. Isaiah calls for a cake of figs. And they bring this cake of figs and they lay it on the boil. Now, what was that boil? We don't know. It probably was some type of deep infection. It could have even been a cancerous tumor. But whatever it was, they lay this cake of figs on it and it absorbs either the infection, the cancer, the bacteria, whatever's going on in Hezekiah's body. It absorbs out, and the Lord heals him. Verse number 8, I find so fascinating. I was listening to a preacher this week teach on this topic, and, and I disagree with him. He said, how could Hezekiah have such little faith when God said he was going to heal him And in verse number 8, what does Hezekiah do? He asks for a sign. Why didn't Hezekiah believe? Why didn't he take God at his word? I think there's a biblical answer why. I don't see this as a lack of faith. I see it as tremendous faith. Do you know why? 
Because the sundial that's going to be used in verses 9 through 11, what is that sundial called? It's called the sundial of Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago when we studied Ahaz in Isaiah chapter 7? Do you remember God was so eager to work for his father Ahaz that God said, Ask me for a sign. Do you remember? As far down as Sheol or as high as the heavens, it doesn't matter. There is no limit. I'll show you my power. I'll show you my goodness. I'll show you my glory. Ask me for any sign and I'll show it to you. And do you remember what Ahaz said? No thanks. Thanks, but no thanks. Remember we called that sermon the king who refused God's help. He utterly rejected God Almighty. And he turned to the gods of Baal and the gods of Damascus. But not his son. Now, see, I think, this is my opinion, I think that was fresh in Hezekiah's mind. I think Hezekiah said, you know what? My dad may have rejected God, but I'm not going to reject him. My dad may have refused his help, but I'm going to embrace it. My dad may have sinned, but I'm going to follow the Lord. And you know what Hezekiah does that's so different than his father? Hezekiah says, I want a sign. Oh, what faith. Amen. Now, are we to do that in today's Christianity? I'll share with you my personal opinion. I never ask God for a sign. Never. I don't ask God for any signs whatsoever. None. Do you know why I never ask for a sign? Is because you know what's different about us versus the, these Old Testament saints that we study their life? The difference is you and I are filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit. We are guided by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit physically, literally indwells us. I don't need a sign. When I have dilemmas or I've got great decisions to make, let me tell you, I don't, I'm not, uh, I know people that, you know, they, uh, I, oh Lord, if this is you, calls two pigeons. And a dove to land on the hood of my car on Tuesday morning. And if the pigeons fly away and the dove remains, I'll know it's you. What? No. Christians are to seek two things. We're not to seek signs. We're to seek two things. Let me tell you what they are. Number one, you're to seek the scriptures. Peter said... We have a more sure word. You know the ramifications of that? Do you remember Peter was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus when he heard the voice of God Almighty? And you know what Peter says? We have a more sure word than even an audible voice. And that sure word are the scriptures. Seek God in his Word. Sadie told me of someone uh, that we know who, uh, us, 
And they posted something on social media. This person said, Jesus said, the Bible is not the word of God. Jesus is. Wrong. Jesus and the Word are inseparable. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. When Jesus returns on that white horse, according to the book of Revelation, what are written, what, what is written on his thighs? On one thigh is written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And on the other thigh is written the Word of God. You will find God. You will find his will in his word. And to not partake of it daily, what a travesty. To not eat of the word of God daily, you're shorting yourself. Number two, we're to seek God not through signs. We're to seek God through the scriptures and through his spirit. You find all the empowerment. You find all the comfort. You find all the enablement. You find all the anointing. You find all the strength in the Holy Spirit. My mentor, Terry Whitson, he taught me so well. He said, Chad, he told me this years ago, back when I first started the church. He said, Chad, you got to have the Word and the Spirit. He said, Christians who have all Word and no Holy Spirit, they dry up. Christians who have all Holy Spirit and no word, they blow up. But believers who have both the word and the spirit, they grow up. Amen. That's what I want for my faith. I want to mature in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the knowledge of his will. Well, where do I get it? I get it in the word. First John says, you are strong because the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. I get it in the spirit. First John says we have no need for man to teach us. The anointing will teach us. Amen. Where do you get it? From the Holy Spirit. We don't seek signs. Now, Hezekiah is in a different day. He doesn't have the aid of the Holy Spirit. So he asked for a sign. I think in this context, in his day... I think it shows how opposite he is of his father. And I think it shows his great faith for him to say, I want to see a sign. Oh, I think it shows his eagerness to see what God is going to do. And so, verse 8, he asked for a sign. Verses 9, 10, 11. Isaiah says, okay, well, okay. Uh, uh, We've got this sundial. Do you want to see the shadow go forward 10 degrees or go backward 10 degrees? And Hezekiah goes, well, it's a natural thing. It's an easy thing for the shadow to go 10 degrees forward. I think I would have taken that. (laughs) I I, I would have. Hezekiah goes, no, for this to really be God. I need the supernatural. I need it to go 10 steps backward. And so God responds. Scholars have forever debated this and wondered how how 
in the world could this happen? I was listening to one scholar who he, he believed that all God would have had to do is bring in this super bright cloud and it would have had a reverse effect. Simple things for God. Hey, when you're the creator, you can do whatever you want. He gave a good explanation for it. But here's the point. Verses 9, 10, and 11. God responds. And the shadow of the sundial, rather than naturally going forward 10 steps, it goes backward 10 steps. And Hezekiah gets the answer that he was searching. Okay. Now at this point, Hezekiah's done exceptional. He, you couldn't ask for better commentary. You couldn't ask for a better outcome. God has healed him. He begins to feel better. And now verse number 12. The Babylonians decide, well, we're going to send him a gift and we're going to send a delegation. And, you know, we're going to reach out and show ourselves friendly. So Hezekiah, this pride that he took care of in chapter 32, this pride that he humbled himself down, and now verse 27, God gives him great riches and honor, and verse 28, God gives him great possessions, and verse 30, God causes everything he does to prosper, and all of these storehouses, all of this wealth, all this gold, all this silver, all this military might, it just all comes in abundance And that pride sneaks right back in undetected. So the Babylonians come and they say, Oh, King Hezekiah, we're all the way from Babylon. We've heard about you. And his head once again swells. We've heard you defeated the Assyrians. We heard that you've grown in all this abundance. We even heard that you overcame your illness. Oh, we're so impressed with you. And Hezekiah goes... Little old me from Jerusalem? You're that flattered with me? Oh, just let me show you how wealthy I am. And so he opens all the treasury. This is how much gold, how much silver I have. He opens the military. This is how many chariots we have. This is how many horsemen and spears and shields. He opens the house of the store, of the store, the grains, all the storehouses, the oils, the wines. And he goes, oh, take a good look at all of my kingdom. And all the while, the Babylonians are going, huh, you got that much gold, huh? You have this many chariots, do you say? Mind if we have our picture made beside those chariots? (laughs) And I bet they went home with a file that thick. Verses 13, 14, 15. Isaiah is walking through. This man of God who doesn't care to say anything God tells him to say. And he goes... Hezekiah, come here. Who are these people? And Hezekiah goes, I don't know if you uh, saw in the papers today, but uh, the Jerusalem Post said that uh, these folks are from Babylon and they've heard about me. They've heard about my victory over Sennacherib. They've heard about my victory over the illness. They've They've heard about all the wealth, and they've come, and they've, uh, they've wanted to interview me. And Isaiah says, you're an idiot. 
Well, that's not the Hebrew translation, but <clears throat> Isaiah says, Hezekiah, what are you doing? You know what the problem is? Pride blinds us, doesn't it? One of the greatest enemies you face is the pride of life. I'm just finishing a book right now on the armor of God. You and I have three primary enemies. Temptations, I should say. 1 John 2, 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 16. For what is in the world? Oh, he tells us. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and what? The pride of life. Friends, it is a deadly, deadly foe. Verses 16, 17, and 18, Isaiah is going to prophesy the Babylonian captivity. He's going to say, King Hezekiah, what you've done today is so foolish. The Babylonians are going to go home. They're going to report everything. They're going to come back at a later time. And every single thing you've shown them, they are going to carry off into captivity, including your future sons. They will end up being eunuchs under the Babylonian king in his own palace. And this king who has excelled all of these years, this king who's done everything right, this king who so captured the heart of God that when he pleaded for more time, God says, I'll give you 15 more years. This king who walked uprightly before God, this king who brought revival, this king who led the nation so well, he allowed pride to come into the back door. And without even realizing it, He sowed the seeds of destruction for Jerusalem. Then look at verse 19. Unbelievable. Hezekiah looks at Isaiah. He's so blinded by pride. Hezekiah looks at Isaiah and says, The word you've said is good. And I bet Isaiah went, What? Good? I've just prophesied destruction. And you know what pride did to this man? Hezekiah, the Bible says, thought to himself, as long as there is peace and security in my day. You know what he did? He forfeited the coming generations. Forfeited them. Was Hezekiah wrong to ask God for more time? No. Where Hezekiah was wrong is that he squandered and he wasted the time that God gave him. What about you? What are you doing with the time God has allotted to you? Whether you have one more year, five more years, 15 more years, or 50 more years, doesn't matter. What are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do with the time? Many of you just like Hezekiah. God's increased you. God has blessed you. Don't take the blessings of God 
and mix them with foolishness. Don't take the blessings of God and mix them with selfishness. With self-centeredness. You know what would have made Hezekiah's life unbelievable? Is if Hezekiah had said, I have 15 years left. Let me live for eternity. Let me train the younger generation. Let me raise up mighty men and women. Let me prepare for these next 15 years for all of eternity. But he didn't do that. He lived the exact opposite. He said, hey, as long as there's peace and safety in my day, who cares? Is that ultimately our attitude? Or do you live with eternity in view? Many principles to learn from Hezekiah's life. Death is not the worst thing to happen to you. So don't live for the here and now. Whatever time God gives you going forward, don't be selfish. Invest in eternity. Live toward eternity. Give yourself toward eternity. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Has God spoken to you today? Has he shown you an area of your life that you need to correct? Are there mistakes that Hezekiah made that you could avoid with with your family, with your own legacy? What will be your legacy? Hezekiah was the king who negotiated with God. And in the end, he lost. Lord, help us to live better lives. Help us to live godly lives. May great decisions mark our life. May we live according to the scriptures and according to your spirit. Lead us, Holy Spirit. Remove selfishness. Remove pride. Remove arrogance. Remove self-reliance. And instead, give us the grace to lean on you as never before. We are all hurtling toward eternity. So let us live for it. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Have you visited my online store where you can find books, music, sermon series, and so much more? I hope you'll go there today, awakentograce.com slash store, and keep checking back because our resources that are designed for spiritual growth are always growing. Awakentograce.com slash store.